1: I don't care what they might say We love Jesus anyway The Trinity, the Triune God Father, Son, and Spirit Who is who and what are their roles and responsibilities is the subject of our time today uniquely looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand is coming up next the one true God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And today we continue our look at the person and work of the Spirit of God. For in John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, along with several other passages, as we begin our time together today, we're reminded that the Spirit of God is also a person, and He is a co-agent in creation. Here's Pastor Jesse Stand with today's broadcast of Way of Grace.
2: When Jesus says baptizing them, immersing them, identifying them in the name of the Father, it means that you declare to those who will be baptized the name of God the Father, that is his personal tag, the authority of God the Father, that is he's God over all, and the reputation of God the Father. For the name means those th- three things, do they not? A name is who I am. A name is what I have. A name is what I do. A name is how much influence I have imposed upon my sphere of influence. If you know me, you know my name. If you know me, you know my occupation. You know my authority. You know my rule. You know my dominion. You know my sphere of influence. Baptize them into the name of the Father. Now, is God the Father known all over the world? Yes, he is. Is he known for being God over all? Yes, he is. Is he known for being all powerful, almighty, all wise, all sovereign, omnipotent, immutable, unchangeable, twice, thrice holy God. Is he known for that? Right. So this is what Christ meant. Baptized them, immersed them, identified them with the full scope of biblical revelation concerning the father. Next, do the same thing with the son. Don't just say his name, Quios. Don't say his name, Jesus. Call him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus because he's the Son of the Living God. Call him Jesus because he rose from the dead with all power in his hand. Call him Jesus because the Father highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things on the earth, and things under there. Call him Jesus because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Call him Jesus because you know his name, his authority, and his reputation. And call him the Spirit because the Spirit of God is that agency that brings to reality everything the Father and the Son does. Y'all got that? To deny the one is to deny the other, and to deny the other is to deny the other yet still, and it means you don't know God. Does that make sense? It's time to go to work then. Time for us to go to work. So now in your outline, we have our first point. They are one true God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one true and living God. And their triune operations, we see them all over the Bible. I'll spend a little bit of time affirming that simply to simply establish the fact that the Spirit of God is not a Johnny-come-lately, or some inferior entity operating with the father and the son. Point number one, sub point A: the father is what? He's God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse six through nine gives us the metaphor. Pull it up, please. Gives us the metaphor of you and I being sons of God. And what it says is if you're a child of God, God's going to deal with you as a son and him as a father. How many of y'all know that? Let me hurry up and get, get over that right quick. See, like when God brings you out of your bastard state, out of your infant state, out of your unsafe state, and brings you into the family of God, he puts his name on your forehead and it's called the Father. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. That means everybody must know you're his property. Now, when he brings you in by the spirit of adoption, you cry, Abba what? Abba, Abba what? Because you have the spirit of sonship in you, just as Christ cried, Abba, Father. Now watch this. That means daddy got a purpose for you. you. And daddy's going to get you to his purpose. And you know, daddy is the greatest lover in the world, is he not? And every good and perfect gift comes from the father. Is that right? And with him, there's no variable of, of turning and no shadow of darkness with him at all. Is that right? But daddy will whip your butt. Isn't that right? Daddy doesn't care about politicians. He don't care about kings. He don't care about rulers. He don't care about entertainers. No one can stop the father from disciplining you because he loves you. Will you hear the language? He says, for whom the Lord loves, he what? Scourges every son whom he receives. I want you, Lord. He says, okay, come on. I got a switch just for you. I got a switch just for you because, see, I'm shaping you into the image of my son. But I'll have to peel some things off because you, you bringing stuff in that don't look nothing like me. When I'm done with you, all that stuff going to be cleaned up. You're going to look good when I have done whittled you. When I'm done whittling you, you're going to look good. But right now you're raggedy. Does that make sense? And the language here is pretty brutal. I'm going to be honest with you. All whom the Lord loves, he's scourges. If you were to really look into that language, it would be intolerable in our present generation. To scourge a child today would put you in jail. And that's because men reject the gospel. They reject a God who depicts himself as father over his children and who will chastise us to make us better. But David knew something about chastisement, didn't he? Oh, Lord, in faithfulness have you afflicted me that I might not run away from your commandment. David knew when God gives us too much room, we get to clowning, don't we? And God has to come out after us in his providence and his goodness with the switch. I told you that years ago. The last whooping I got from my daddy. I never forget it. I thought I could run to the park, of which he told me, don't go to. Sound familiar? Now, the park is a metaphor for whatever you are told not to do. And you know how we just do what we're told not to do? I don't know what came over me at 9 to 10 years old, but it was like something came over me and I got up and went out the house and started heading to the park. This was Elmhurst Park. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, see, these are hood folk. I'm, I'm, I'm going down D Street, headed to Elmhurst Park, and I'm just as oblivious to my rebellion as anybody, and then I see this familiar red Chevy 57 pickup coming my way, and I had a revelation. I was caught. My daddy was cold. I'm walking to the park. He drives by. He sticks his hand out the window. All he did was this. And it was like the Holy Ghost turned me around. And that was the longest walk home I had. Will you hear me? That was the last time I got a butt whooping. It was so effectual. It was so fervent. It was so righteous it persuaded me never to go against his will again. Never got a whooping after that day. Good example. Verse verse 7, here it is. Keep it moving, please. If you endure chastening, there it is. We talked about this last week in terms of discipline for the race, right? If you endure chastening, then God dealeth with you as with what? And that means by inference, he's a what? That's right. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? You see the metaphor of the father and the son that, that analogy runs all the way through the Bible, right? Three grand analogies, right? Father, son, king, servant, what? Husband, wife. That's how you frame your whole Bible. That's where the relationship of God with his people lies. It lies as a father and a son relationship. It lies as a what? King, servant. He's king, we're servant. And in this intimacy of the final covenant that we call the gospel, it's what? Husband and wife. Christ is our husband and we are his bride. So we see it. One more verse, verse nine, before we move on. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave and we gave them reverence. Shall we not rather be in subjection unto hear it? The father of spirits and live. See it. He's the father of spirits. Sub point B, the son is God. Do you agree with that? The son has got big controversy in our day with people who are departing from the faith and somehow assuming that their intellect gives them the capacity to just plainly uh, deny propositional truth. But Hebrews chapter one, verse eight and nine will give us at least one text, just in case you've never seen it before, where it is argued very clearly that Jesus is God. Now, again, be very careful when you listen to these arguments that, that are what we call distinctions without any differences. Well, Jesus called himself the son of God. He's never called himself God, right? Well, Jesus never called himself man. Oh, there you go. Better write it down. Wake up. He never called himself a man, but was he a man? Did he call himself the son of man all the time? Why? Because a son of man is a man. And when you are the son of the living God, the unique son of the living God, you are God. And that's why they killed him because he made himself to be equal with God. Can I keep moving? Right. So now listen to it. But unto the son, he said, now, if you know your Bible, you understand Old Testament, New Testament comparison, because the new is the fulfillment of the old and the old is the anticipation of the new. So the authors in the New Testament always reached back and quoted from the Old Testament to affirm their theology. Here, the father is speaking in Psalm 45 about the son and the father is calling the son God. Do you see it? Listen to the language. But unto the son, he said, who's speaking the father? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Hebrew writer says, when you understand the narrative of Psalm 45, the father explicitly calls the son God. Now, we don't have a problem with the father calling him the son of God. Because we understand equality of nature, distinction of relationships, right? We talked about that before, right? But here you have an explicit text by the inspired writer of Hebrew. Verse 9, watch this. Here's another uh, another adumbration. It comes out of Psalm 45 again. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, your God, therefore God, even your God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Again, we see the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Do you not? God is the one that anointed Christ with the Holy Ghost without measure. God is the one that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is the one that invested into Jesus all of the divine nature, right? That's what he says in Colossians, right? It pleased God that in him should all the fullness of deity dwell. Because of Christ's obedience, God gave him full crown rights to exercise total authority over everything in the universe, from God to God. The Son is God. That's sub-point B. Look at subpoint uh, C. The Spirit is God. I love this because this is really our topic. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, 29. I'm going to start from the analogy and, and make our way to the person. But in Hebrews twelve twenty nine, the Hebrew writer, speaking to the new Jews, the true Jews, The New Testament church, which is called the children of Abraham, the true circumcision in keeping with the kingdom of God metaphor says our God is a what? Consuming fire. Do y'all believe that? Our God is a consuming fire. If you back up a verse or two, what the Hebrew writer says is you have not come to Mount uh, Mount, uh, Sinai, you have not come to the law, you've not come to Moses, you've come to Christ. And you are in the kingdom of God under the metaphor of the new Jerusalem, right? And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and what? Joy in the Holy Ghost because of what Christ accomplished. But in keeping with the Old Testament metaphor, as we'll learn in chapter 13, Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. God doesn't change. He's not a transformer, if you will, morphing from an evil God in the Old Testament and a good God in the New Testament. God has always been depicted in the Bible as a fire, as a fire. And when verse, well, we can start at verse 28, if you don't mind. I want to keep keep it moving. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This is a good mission statement for every believer individually. Having received the kingdom of God, Let us have grace by which we might serve God acceptably. By the way, you can't get nothing done apart from the grace of God. To serve him acceptably, you need his grace, right? And we are to honor our father with reverence and what? Godly fear. Now, here's here's what the Hebrew writer said, verse 29, because our God is a what? Right. If you're brought near the covenant, you will discover that you can't play games with God. If you're brought into the covenant, God won't let you be deceived like the vast majority of the world where they have a relationship with God as a buddy. God's a partner. He's he's an old man upstairs. And they got all kind of euphemisms and and terms about their relationship with God, which only means they don't know God. Why stay with me now. When you have a healthy relationship with your kids, as do I, your children reverence you. I would never, I would be utterly surprised if any of my eight kids were out in the street tearing my name down, ridiculing me, making me out to be a buffoon, or some equal with them as if I am not their father. The way I taught them and raised them to know who God is and Christ is, and most if not all of them know the Lord, I am completely persuaded that when my name comes out of their mouth, it is with reverence and godly fear. That's the way it ought to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so it ought to be with us. We should never be flippant with our God's name. Never flip it with his character. Never flip it with his personality. You don't know God if you talk like that. He is to be revered. You are the representative of God down here. If people are going to revere God, they're going to revere God through you. Or they're going to mock your God. They're going to ridicule your God. They're going to blaspheme your God. They're going to belittle your God. If you do it, they'll do it. By the way, you won't ever hear me belittling my children either. See, as the son honors the father, the father also honors the son. And that's where we are headed, are we not? To honor. So God honors us and we honor God back for God is a consuming fire. Is the father a consuming fire? Is the son a consuming fire? Is the Holy Ghost depicted essentially as a fire? And on that day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3, you can pull it up. The spirit of God, which Christ promised, came down on that 120 in the upper room. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of of what? And it sat upon each one of them. This is very instructive. Salvation is not an HMO product. It is a very personal salvation. The Holy Ghost must sit on you individually and personally. Even if we're in the same room, you don't want him to miss you. You want his anointing on you, on you. You don't want to just be in the room with the anointing. That ain't enough. You want the anointing on you. Because if the fire is on you, now you know you have a relationship with God. Now you know that that burning bush in Exodus 3.14 was the apostasies of God and man. It was the union of God and man. Moses is cleaning up sheep dogs. And he looks up and he sees a burning bush that's not consumed. He's looking at the metaphor of an oxymoron paradoxical reality. The fire should burn the bush up, but the bush is not burning up. Why? Because God is teaching us that God dwells with men in the person of Christ by his spirit. So what you have in Exodus 3.14, you see multiplied in Acts 2, three. Here the Holy Ghost coming upon dirt bags like you and I. And yet we're not consumed. Why is that the case? Because we have a mediator who has assumed our nature. And because he's in heaven at the right hand of God, God can dwell in us as he dwelt in him. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? And you can follow the spirit of God all through the scriptures. One more, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. John's baptizing with H2O. He's baptizing with aqua. He's baptizing with water. And folks are arguing. He says, look, this water can't save you. But there's one coming whose fan is in his hand and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Um, Luke chapter three, verse 16. I'm sorry. Luke 316. This is getting into his uh, annunciation. Luke 316. Watch this. John answered and said unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh. Who is that? Jesus The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And what? Because the fire represents two things it represents the purity of God, and it represents God's purging efficacy to cleanse his people. See, you and I are unclean when we're outside of Christ. He has to clean us up and bring us in, does he not? He has to clean us up and bring us in. He has to clean us up and bring us in, does he not? And without the spirit of God, you're not in the kingdom of God, right? And so this is the metaphor that the scripture uses concerning the spirit of God. Point number two, let's move on a little bit. Here's something more particularly important that you want to comprehend. The spirit of God is also an individual self-conscious person. Now, we really want to work through these five subpoints carefully. Let me make the argument for a moment because you probably just don't know. Because we don't study language, we don't study grammar, we don't study sociology, we, real, we really don't study anything, we just listen to the internet, yeah, we don't study anything. But whenever you use the term person, you really want to know what that means. What is a person? Because if someone were to ask you, what does it mean that you're a person? Could you actually explain that in what we would call lexical grammatical terms? Probably not. Here you are, you've been a person all your life. You can't even explain you. (laughs) Let me help you a little bit. The term person always denotes an individual, separate from any other individual. This is what we call in, in, in logic individuation. Like when you reduce it down to its smallest part, it's separate from anything else. A person is an individual But a person also has an identity of which they are, watch this now, self-conscious. This is why we don't really call animals and dogs and all that persons, because while they have consciousness, they don't have self-consciousness. Pastor, be careful. My dog really acts like he knows a bunch of stuff. Well, he's smarter than you. (laughs) That don't mean a whole lot. Let me help you. I really want you to get it. It's very important for you to get. Animals have consciousness. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Won't be long, but God put breath in all species, even in plant life. That's not your Ruah, that's your ne- Nehesh. That's a whole nother subject. But please listen to me. It has breath. We're getting, we're getting there. But personhood is a conscious awareness of your own individuality by which you go. Are you ready? I am. That is your tetragrammaton in Exodus three fourteen. Who shall I say sent you, O Lord? I am that I am. And the father has what we call personal self-consciousness. The son has what we call personal self-consciousness. And the Holy Ghost has what? Personal self-consciousness. I'm about to affirm that. Can I do that? Now, here's what this means. For people who are modalistic, Sibelian, trapped in oneness, Pentecostal, and would assert that the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are kind of like transformers, they're wrong. A transformer is one person becoming or acting as if they are three or four. Now, we, we got people in the church like that. Y'all do know that, right? That, that's called kooky. That you do know that, right? multiple personality types. You're really only one person. But God doesn't shift shape from the Father to the Son to the Holy Ghost. And when you allow your Bible to speak carefully, the Father self-indexes. That means he individuates himself from the Son. Are y'all learning something? The Son self-indexes. That means he individuates himself from the Father. The Holy Ghost self-indexes. That means he individuates himself from the Son and the Father. You know what that means? The Holy Ghost never calls himself the Son. And the Holy Ghost never calls himself the Father. And the Father never calls himself the Son. And the Father never calls himself the Holy Ghost. The Son never calls himself the Father or the Holy Ghost.
1: And this is Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church, right here in Hayward. Copies of the program are available either by calling us, asking for a CD, or simply going online and downloading a copy from our website. If you'd like to write to us, our address is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. If you'd like to give us a call, you can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. As always, you're welcome to visit our website. As I mentioned a moment ago, we do have resource materials available through the site, including past sermons by Pastor Jessica Stan, easy to download for free grace-bible.com again grace-bible.com sunday services here at grace bible church are at 11 a.m with sunday school at 10 a.m friday night bible study at 8 p.m and you can find directions and more information on our website grace-bible.com or just give us a call 510-886-9782 if you feel led to direct some of your financial resources to Way of Grace Ministries, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. If the broadcast is a blessing to you, and if you find real encouragement and growth in your walk with Christ, then get a hold of us and let us know. Reach out to us again at grace dot com, where you can give securely online, or simply call 510-886-9782. Come back and join us next time, won't you, as we'll continue our study through God's word that we might grow in grace and find ourselves by Jesus Christ through his spirit to the glory of God in his way of grace.